Queries. I'm India Bastien. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. Together we explore being a part of the LGBTQ community in the South. A quick note on terminology. On this show, we let guests identify in the best way they're comfortable with. Some of the terms or topics might be different, new, or uncomfortable to you. That discomfort is part of what we're exploring together. We encourage you to listen with an open heart and continue these discussions with your larger community. We encourage any meaningful and politeful feedback. Thanks, and welcome to Southern Queries. India. How are you doing? Good. I'm drinking tea. You're drinking coffee, which is why we keep swallowing. <laughs> I am. I'm drinking my one cup of coffee that I'm allowed every day. Wait, you're only allowed one cup of coffee a day? I've had to cut back on my caffeine, so. Mm, that's so I sad. I do one cup of coffee and then I do caffeine-free teas and water for the rest of the day. Oh, it well, I only drink one cup of tea and then I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> Not because I have to. It's just I'm, like my I'm body's like. I'm over tea. I'm over you tea. It's, I, we're done. I, I'm not. This is over. I will see you tomorrow morning. Exactly. <laughs> so. Okay. Uh, so today, you and I are kind of just chatting. We don't have a guest. Yeah. Yeah. We don't um, have a guest. Is it because no one wants to talk to us anymore? Um, I think it's important sometimes to have not a guest. Uh, When I we first imagined this podcast in July, we said that every once in a while we wanted to have an episode where we could just chat as friends and not feel like we were prying into other people's lives. And the first topic we picked really goes to the heart of the podcast and our purpose. Yes. Uh, so we wanted to talk about the name of this show, uh, specifically the part, the Southern part. What qualifies as the South and why should we care about this? Like, why are we doing a show that is really only about the South? Yeah. So today we really, um, we want or I guess I should say we are going to at least give our views on what the South is. And we should note that we're pulling in various points of information and that we'll post all of it on our website. Um, But we're also not saying that we are experts and you're free to agree and disagree with us and feel free to comment on our social media and how you define the South. I mean, that's part of the reason why we started the show was because we wanted to define what, being a queer in the South was, but also mostly you and I also found ourselves listening to other podcasts and realizing there wasn't a lot of voices being heard from Southern queers. Absolutely. And, you know, we've gotten a few comments from uh, listeners. And the last time I checked, we've had almost 900 listens of our different episodes. So that's exciting. Yeah, (laughs) that's super exciting. That's exciting, right? Uh, but we got a few comments where people were asking, what is the South? Does something qualify as the South? So we wanted to kind of just dive into that a little bit. And again, we're just kind of giving our own views and our purpose for the show. And if you don't agree or if you do agree, let us know. Yeah, so we'll go over um, ways to classify the South geographically, um, historic, 
cultural slash political, and then also public opinion, which I think is really in, uh, good for us to highlight as well. Absolutely. And I think we should also talk about uh, how does places like Mexico, Latin America, Central America, and the Caribbean, how does that also fall under, under our umbrella of the South? Because I think that's a part of the conversation we need to have too. Yes, yes. Because, um, you know, I was talking about this with my fiance, because um, she is originally from Texas and considers herself Southern and, um, you know, holds Texas as part of like deep into her heart. Um, and I asked her, like, how long does someone have to live in the South in order to be considered Southern? Is there a specific time window? Um, also, because I'm considered Mexican or I live in the South, I mean, does that make me any less Southern than she is? Also, I came out in the South, in Atlanta, Georgia, so that was a big part of my life, and I felt like I'm living my most authentic self by finding myself in the South, and does that make me any less Southern queer than the next person? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Um, so yeah, I feel like we need to kind of explore all of this stuff. So Aubrey, first thing I'd like to talk about is what places like states in the U.S. are considered the South? Uh, yes, this is probably one of the more controversial parts of it. And I am pulling in my history minor and I'm putting on my political science cap for today. So I'm putting on the job that I do. Um, you sound so enthusiastic. <laughs> no, it's I Friday, y'all. Yeah. It's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday when we're recording. And, you know, I love my job. I love my students. But when you talk about government for your job, you don't always want to talk about it for your hobby. <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> uh, but really, when we're looking at geography, there are a lot of different ways to classify the South. One of the ones I see a lot in research by interest groups and by academics is from the U United States Census Bureau. You know, the people that are in charge of counting the country and counting the population. The Census Bureau identifies 16 states and the District of Columbia that are considered mm -hmm. the South. And some of the more obvious, obvious ones are Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. And Texas. I didn't say Texas. Uh-uh. <laughs> and Texas. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm literally sitting in Texas for the last 12 years. I didn't say it. And Texas. Uh, but where it gets controversial are with a few states. Delaware, Maryland. And then there's this question of, is the District of Columbia Southern? Like before looking at, looking at this list from the Census Bureau, I didn't know Delaware was considered the South by the government. Yeah, and uh, I'm nervous about my giving my own opinions because I don't want to sound ignorant, but you but had actually- <laughs> It's a great podcast. That's kind of well, what I'm here for. Yeah. No, you were talking to Imani, um, who was one of our guests about um, going to an HBCU 
in the South. And it took me a couple minutes to be like, wait a second, District of Columbia is in the South? <laughs> well, I, I didn't realize it, it was or was considered. Also, North versus South Carolina, you know. There's, well, no, there's, I don't think it's ignorant. <laughs> I think it's interesting because, again, listening to Amani and their conversation, I don't know if they considered D.C. the South also. They right. considered Atlanta their home to be the South. But in my mind, Imani went from one part of the South to the other part of the South. But maybe that's more the cultural part of it. And we can get into that, why DC is considered the South and places like Maryland and Delaware. And again, the Maryland Delaware one is a bit interesting. I was on a few websites with people who live in Maryland and they don't even agree about whether they're considered Southern. Some people in Maryland would say, oh, we're, we're mid-Atlantic or we're, we're coastal, but we're not Southern. Some people say we're absolutely Southern. So I don't know how much people in Maryland agree with themselves. Yeah, I never really thought about Baltimore being Southern at all, like not even a little bit. So when I saw it on the list, I was like, huh, interesting. So is there a historic tie to the Census Bureau on why they consider those states south? Some of it goes back to the Mason-Dixon line. And I'm going to, those of us, our listeners in the, our listeners that went to maybe more of a United States public school system, I'm going to make you remember your U.S. history. (laughs) (laughs) So the Mason-Dixon line was this small piece of geographic cartography that was done in the years to separate places like Pennsylvania from Maryland and really try to define some of the mid-Atlantic. Mm. But what it's become over the years was this dividing line that the Mason-Dixon line, if you could spread it all across the South and we'll put pictures of it in the show, on the show website, that's the North above the Mason-Dixon line and the South is below it. And Mason and Dixon were the two people who made it the line that were they were named I'm sorry <laughs> it became yeah, a catch-all for things like the civil war and slave states versus free states so some of that is there and some of it i don't know i don't know why delaware is included maybe we should ask the census bureau i'm not going to ask them but maybe we should well and i thought it i i don't know if you caught on to this at all but when asking some of our guests what it means to them to be queer in the South, some of them did bring up how hard it is being a person of color here in the South and their history and the grind and um, how much their food is important to them. Like those topics kept coming up and I thought that was really meaningful. Um, I did look up some information about the South. I came upon something called the Dirty South versus the Deep South. And then it got really complicated really fast. Okay, but I would love to know what is the difference between the Dirty South and the Deep South? Because I only know Dirty South in terms of hip-hop lyrics. That's all I know it related to. Okay, so according to Mr. Google, um, the Dirty South includes states as North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Texas, and Tennessee. 
um, because this person was from Memphis. The term Dirty South is a term of endearment for that area of the U.S. that includes much much of the former Confederacy. Some people feel that the Dirty South is rap music that originated from the South, and it was said that music from the Dirty South usually was had a faster beat that you could dance to. In the 1990s, there was a Dirty South rap that popped up and consisted of violent, sex-obsessed, or naturally cuss-oriented brand of modern hip-hop. But the name Dirty South um, really inspired a bunch of other hip-hoppers out there. So I think the general consensus is, yes, it's very music-oriented, but upon that reading deeper, it actually had to do with the Confederacy. And then I felt like I had to read a history book because I didn't know enough information about the Civil War and Confederacy. I only know that in the hip-hop, I, uh, uh, the hip-hop in the 90, 90s, early 2000s, hip-hop, Southern hip-hop, I didn't know about it, that it went deeper than that. But I also don't know much about hip-hop, so that's yeah. interesting. I don't know much about it either, so... I just thought that was interesting that then there was even dividing lines within the South. Um, And what is the Deep South then? So the Deep South um, includes states as Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana, sometimes North Carolina comes into play. So it's more focused. It's a smaller geographic area. Right. And then I was also thinking about how people talk about the Bible Belt or the Southern Draw and where you hear it a lot more in the Deep South, but you wouldn't hear someone in Baltimore, let's say, with this Southern Draw to their way of speaking. It's The South has this interesting history of ownership. Mm, the countries mm-hmm. that used to own the land and currently own the land and then the also the South has this ownership of people aspect. And, you know, by that, I mean the slavery. Right. A big right. tide of the history of the South is slavery. You know, the South seceded and left the Union because they wanted the right to hold their slaves. But not every Southern state did. Kentucky didn't leave and join the Confederacy. Kentucky which had slaves, stayed in the Union. West Virginia actually formed because they didn't want to break away from the Union. And so when Virginia seceded and started the Civil War and Virginia went to become a part of the Confederacy, what we know as West Virginia is the part that stayed and said, no, we're not leaving America. So Virginia actually split (laughs) over the issue of slave versus free and so that's a part of our history as well that you have to include well and there's a I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I never noticed this before until I actually moved to Texas, but Texas is the only state that can fly its state flag at the same height as the U.S. flag. 
Yes. And yes. when I asked someone about it, they gave me kind of a vague-ish answer, as in they have permission to leave the U.S. whenever they want and become its own entity. And I was like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> That's a commonly held misconception. Oh, good. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, you're going to make me do my job today. <laughs> Texas government. The commonly held misconception is that Texas is allowed to leave and become its own country again because there was a nine-year period where Texas was an independent country. They were the Republic, we were the Republic of Texas. This is after we left Mexico, before we became the 28th state. In the 1830s, we were our own country. Wow. But when we joined the Union. And then when we left the Union with the Confederacy, because first we joined the Union, then we left to be a part of the Confederacy, and then we rejoined the Union. Nowhere in there is a right to leave and secede. We don't, no state has that right. What we do have the right to do, I believe, is split into five states, but we don't wanna do that because it would decrease our power. But Texas is so big, we could theoretically split up into multiple states. Wow. But, you know, Texans want to hold on to the right that we can leave whenever we want to. No one, 99% of people in Texas don't want to leave America. <laughs> Would it be in their best interest? No one, like, there's like only that one tiny little drop of people that want Texas to be its own country again, but nobody really wants that. Um, yeah. So you'd lose access to Disney World people. Do you realize that? <laughs> If Texas left the Union, we would lose access to Disney World. You would need a pass, and I'm not willing to lose access to Disney World or Harry so, Potter World. For that matter, right? So how long must you be here to be considered Southern? I don't know. Well, it, I mean, that's the, I don't, I'm sorry to be glib about it, but there's no answer. It's an opinion. I don't know. Well, and it could be like official terms, like you have to live here for 12 months or six months. Now I don't remember which one it is before you can get a driver's license and, uh, you know, to register to vote, you have to be here for a certain amount of time. So if you're registered to vote and have a local driver's license, does that mean you're now Southern or do you have to be here for 10 years plus? I'm not saying we have to answer these questions. I just think, yeah, but, yeah. you know. But, the, but then there are those that say you have to have been born here. And it only counts if you were born and raised on Southern soil your whole life. And if you do that, you cut out a lot of people that have made their homes here for decades. You know, I am not a native born Texan. I was, I've been here for 13 years. God, it's been a long time. It is a really long time. But do I consider myself a Texan versus my daughter who was born in Texas and has made up songs about how great Texas is? Is she more Texan than me? And in the end, does it matter? Right. And, I don't know. And I think that's also important to highlight that the people that we bring onto the show, it's because they've impacted either my life or your life or the community that we're in, in the South. And our whole point of doing this show was to elevate 
Southern queer voices and also tell our story. Um, so yes, I feel like some of our guests are either not native and they're transplants, um, or they migrated here even um, from the North to the South, which I think is interesting because we usually have people going from South to North, um, as well as a lot of the people came out here in the South and found their queerdom or their LGBTQ-ness in the South. And I think that's meaningful. I agree. I think there's value in, I think there's value in having conversations with people that aren't from the South that come here and experience the South because they're bringing a different perspective and the people we see are really trying to, people, the people we talk to, are really trying to uplift and show Southern culture and learn about Southern culture. And I don't want to discount people like that. I want people that have been here forever. I want people that have moved here. I want people, you know, the South is kind of an, it's an identity that you have to claim yourself. And if right. you claim that Southern identity, whether you've been here for a year, two years, your whole life, I want to talk to you. Because I think all those voices are, are valid. I mean, the big thing about this country is that people move around. More people are moving to the South now, whereas 60, 70 years ago, everybody was moving away from the South. And 100 years ago, everyone was moving away from the South. And now those people are coming back to the South because we have more affordable housing, because more companies are moving here. There's, it's just, I really don't want to say you have to have lived here for cert a certain amount of time to be considered Southern. Right. It matters that you're trying to uplift Southern voices, especially Southern queer voices. That's what matters to us. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And I think it's so and fun. Also, we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's really fun to elevate um, success stories in the South. Um, one of our guests, and now I don't remember which one, because we've talked to many, said that a lot of people think that being queer in the South is a lot of pain, and you're probably just always struggling, and it's just really hard. Yes, I think there is some struggle and some painful moments, but it's not always like that. There's a lot of people flourishing. There's a lot of um, amazing queer business owners that I want to tell their story. There's a lot of um, amazing queer artists here in the South that I don't think get enough limelight because we get overshadowed by Northern stars. Um, no hate on RuPaul's Drag Race, but like there's amazing drag culture here in the South that I don't think get enough limelight. Um, which is why I'm excited for our different array of guests. Some of them are just regular, you know, Joe Schmoes down the street that are friends of mine. And some of them are famous community mm. activists, you know? My friends don't want to come on the show. So it's amazing you can get your friends to come on. My friends don't want to come on the show. I'm, I'm very persuasive. No. <laughs> <laughs> I convince them it's in their best interest. <laughs> Almost scary. <laughs> hey, someone did tell me one time that I'd be a really good salesperson. I was like, well, you I've done be. sales you before. Be. Yes. <laughs> I'd be horrible because I don't want to bother people. Like, you don't want to talk to me? I don't want to talk to you either. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm hosting a podcast if I don't. 
See, I persuaded Aubrey. Case in point. You <laughs> actually did because I was just going to be behind the scenes. <laughs> you know, when we first talked about this, I was just going to help produce it and be behind the scenes and have you host it. And you actually did persuade me to host it with you. So <laughs> I just, it, it just occurred to me, you sold me on actually talking. See, does anyone want me to sell their stuff? I'd be happy to. <laughs> No, I was I'm like, I can just write things, I can research things, I can help you line up guests, and then you just talk to them, and then that's it. I don't have to do any of that, but here you are. Here I am. <laughs> uh, okay, so kind of getting back on track. Another way, another way you can look at the South is through a cultural or political lens. Mm. There is something about Southern culture, and that could be a stereotype. It could be a question of, is it a real culture or just a perceived culture? The South tends to be very religious, especially fundamental Christian, evangelical Christians. They're very big in the South. Politics isn't that, Go ahead. Is it, isn't that where the Bible Belt term comes from? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't the Bible Belt considered mostly in the southern states? Yes, it is. And then every state says they're the buckle of the Bible Belt to prove they're more religious than the other ones. But every <laughs> place can't be the buckle. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> Maybe you should like call like a Bible hula hoop or where there's no ending or there's no... True. Belt. Yeah, True. but it, it, that is that term. I mean, every so many people in the South you grow up and your life is around your family and your church and that is your social life and those churches historically have not been pro-queer yeah that's a big part of the culture here but at the same time you know we talked to kevin we talked to scott and they're religious and they don't fall into that evangelical conservative viewpoint and then you have uh, southern queers that are Jewish, southern queers that are Catholic, southern queers that are Muslim, southern queers that are two-spirit. So you do have all these ideas that the south doesn't have to just mean one religion. Yeah they're just very loud about being one religion. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess political would be the other aspect right? Yes I mean the South is reliably Republican. If you look at the last few decades of who, who does the South pick for president, Southern states are more likely to pick Republicans. We are considered red. It used to be we're more likely to pick Democrats after the Civil War, but they were always conservative Democrats. And those conservative Democrats have now become Republicans. So we're considered very red and Republican down here, but there are a lot of blue areas. Well, I feel like some Especially of our guests, yeah, I, some of our guests even said, you know, Atlanta's the blue dot in the red state. Mm -hmm. I've heard people say the same thing about Austin. Austin is the blue city in the red state. Dallas, Dallas. is the blue dot in the northern part of Texas. Yeah. You know, Miami, Birmingham. New Orleans, Birmingham. Is yeah. Birmingham blue? I don't know. I don't I've know. never looked. I've never looked. I've but, I'm just quoting someone else. <laughs> no, but I mean, but the point is that it's the view that the South is all super Republican-y and super red. That's not true. 
and we're not saying you have to be Republican or you have to be Democrat or you can only be LGBTQ if you are a Democrat, but there's um, millions of people in the South that are liberal. And so you don't want to paint the picture that the South is just one way because, you know, I'm trying to track down a queer Republican to talk to that would be, you know, fun and interesting. And I would love to bring them on the show to talk about, hey, why are you queer? Why are you Republican? We want to show those voices too. Yeah, all voices. Um, I also thought, you know, Southern states are also very patriotic. Um, They're also very more military supporting. I mean, I don't know if other people have the same sense that I do, but Fort Worth has a military base. There's military planes that fly over my house all the time. (laughs) Um, And God, Texans are really loud about being Texan. And like the flag of Texas is everywhere. I don't even know what the Georgia state flag looks like. But the Texan one, I can tell you what it looks like. <laughs> I can tell you what the Georgia one looks like. But I mean, that is a part of Texas culture. Texans do love being Texan more than almost any other state. I mean, New Yorkers love being from New York, but that's mainly urban city New Yorkers. And Californians love to talk about California and their beachy hippie vibes. But Texans love being Texans in a way that is intense. Yeah. So much of my teaching, I have to, there's a point when I'm teaching Texas government where I actually have to have a conversation about, we need to look at Texas more objectively than just your love of it. You've got to actually talk about the good and the bad. But the South in general does have a level of patriotism. The South loves America and they love being Southern. We don't always love the government telling us what to do though. So there's a disconnect there. We're very patriotic in a sense of love the country, love the flag, but we don't love necessarily when that same government and country tells us to do something like, I don't know, allow gay people to get married. Huh? Or um... we'll talk about that, you know? Or a more recent topic, uh, we love America, but we won't wear a mask. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I also think they have a really big um, emphasis on gun culture, which I had never really been part of. Uh, You know, growing up in Mexico, the people who owned guns, this is what's strange. In Mexico, you see guns all the time because the policemen and the military are allowed to have guns and their guns are big and scary and they're just there all the time. I never really noticed how scary it was until I moved away and came back, but you know, they're using like giant AK-47 type kind of guns and they're just right there visible. But there isn't a lot of personal, like people day to day owning a gun because it's illegal in Mexico. So I had never, we love guns. I know, but I had never shot a gun. I didn't know anyone who owned a gun. I'm now going to marry someone who owns guns. Uh, She took me to my first shooting range and introduced me to gun culture. I, I didn't even know 
about this culture because anytime I came and visited Texas, I was in Austin and I guess I was around people who didn't own guns. Mm. But now living here, I'm amazed at the intensity and ongoing like advertisement and culture that is around guns and shooting guns. It's so intense. It is. <laughs> and it's gotten more intense over the years. It has. It's gotten more intense over the last over the last few decades. You know, I grew up on military bases. I've been around guns and the whole military culture. I have still never touched a gun. Do you want to? Nope. I never want to own one either. But that's more me. My dad was my dad was allowed to own a gun. He was in the Air Force. He was allowed to own a gun. He didn't. He chose not to. The only time he actually had a gun was when they were doing the military exercises, what they call the war games. Yeah. Or when he was stationed overseas in a war zone where he had to have one. But he never, to this day, I've never actually seen him hold a gun. I recognize gun culture and I recognize the constitutional part of it. And I recognize that for a lot of queer people, guns are important. Mm. And there is this whole movement that says, especially if you're queer in the South or if you're black and if you're trans in the South, should you own a gun maybe to protect yourself? And so I can recognize the value of the conversation, even though I myself don't want one. I don't want to discount those voices, but the South is big on gun culture. We love them. We have gun shows. We have we paint our guns. We give kids guns for Christmas. Yeah. But it's normal for us. It is. It's, it's because, and I guess to say the other side, how do you teach gun safety if you don't expose people to it? Well, and that's what I was going to say is I have no interest in ever owning a gun. I have no interest in like shooting a gun except however and but <laughs> I did learn how to shoot a gun now I understand safety features of the gun since I live with someone who does own guns I feel more safe now than I did when I first moved in with her because I know how to use it I know where they're located are and I know what the damage that can be done whereas before I was terrified and I told her I didn't even want to touch the gun I didn't even want to see it but she persuaded me much as much as I persuaded you to be on the podcast to go to a gun range and learn how to use her guns and understand gun culture so that I wasn't reacting to guns out of fear, but reacting out of guns um, with a good understanding of how to use them. That is so, a very Southern perspective. If, that see? Is a, that's, a very, <laughs> and that's a very Southern argument to make. And that's a very, southern perspective so i find that interesting i i respect guns i just don't trust myself yeah i don't yeah but uh, another way to look at this southern this idea of what is the south because i don't know are we running long on time oh, we can cut it okay. if we are all right uh, another way to uh, another way to look at this idea of southern is public opinion mm. so this is a real brief one there have been some surveys done by survey companies every few years, and we don't all agree as just average everyday, average everyday people, we don't all agree what's considered the South. I'm looking at this one map from 538.com and it asks the question, which states do you consider part of the South? 
Some people said as far up as Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana. Some people said as far west as Arizona, New Mexico. And it's interesting, when we typically talk about the South, we're talking about the Southeast and South Central, not the Southwest. That has its different kind of culture that we really don't get into. See, I thought Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado were considered the South because they used to be owned by Mexico. Mm. And so I just assumed that countries that are countries, states that were owned by the country of Mexico would be grouped into that. And I guess I figured that places like Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina were their own like culture of South different from Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado because of Latinx people or the Hispanic heritage. Not that we're not in these other Southern states, but I don't know, for some reason, I just assumed that they were Southern states. So seeing that they don't identify as Southern is really interesting to me. And I love seeing the map because it gives me a good understanding of where um, people consider the South. I, uh, I, I find this interesting because when we say the South, we don't actually mean the entire Southern part of the United States. Yeah, it's, we mostly consider the eastern side of the yeah. southeast. And with Arizona and New Mexico, their history and culture is so rich. From the Mexican influence and this old Spanish influence to the indigenous tribes that are still there in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting culture. And, you know, I have a friend that I have been wanting to bring on because, you know, I haven't brought any of my friends on. And this friend, she lives in Arizona now, but she's from Oklahoma. So I've been wondering, does she consider herself Southern? And then would she come talk to me or talk to us? So, and then there's this other map from about 42,000 readers on the website Vox about what is considered Southern. And they include Missouri, but they don't include Maryland or Delaware. Even though, according to the Census Bureau, it is the South. Yes. And this is a question. Just because the government says something is the South, does that make it the South? I mean, the South is not like hydrogen or carbon where there's a definitive definition. It's not science. These are human beings trying to create categories the best we can. Mm, A lot like LGBTQ things, too. Yes. Yes. There is science to support our existence, at least. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I do like your question about how does the idea of Southern relate to queerness? Um, You know, anti-LGBT laws and policies. Uh, One of the topics that I bring up when I'm giving talks about how to use pronouns at your workplace, I do talk about uh, the laws and policies. They've recently changed dramatically in the U.S. on a national and federal level, but things like employment, adoption. Uh, you know, I know I have a lot of friends who want to adopt here in Texas, and they go out of state to a more northern or midwest state in order to adopt their children and bring them back to Texas because it's so difficult. Wait, they would bring in a not, they wouldn't want a Texan baby? What is nope. wrong with them? They're not Texan. No. (laughs) 
How could you not want a beautiful Texan baby? You know, when born in Texas, we brand their butt with the little Texas head. <laughs> now, that is a true story I just made up. <laughs> but how can they not want a beautiful Texan baby? Well, if you're a same-sex couple, Texans aren't very friendly to us. Just like I do want to talk eventually. So no, I, I do want to talk about eventually uh, getting married uh, yeah. here yeah. in the South and how absolutely. I want difficult. a whole wedding series, you know. Yes. And even here uh, in Fort Worth, there's this pending there was this pending federal lawsuit where a couple in Fort Worth was denied. Uh, by a, an adoption agency because it's a Christian adoption agency and they didn't want to work with a lesbian couple. Mm. And I think this really does get to the heart of the issue as far as the podcast. The issue isn't about what geographically is the South. The issue is more about what is life like for queers in the South. Right. It's not about the map. It's about well, how is the experience of being queer down here different than Minnesota or Portland or New York? That's the heart of what we're trying to do with this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I think each one of the guests that we have have their own definition on what it is to mm -hmm. be queer in the South and their stories are important to tell. I mean, you do have to look at the policy politics part of it before the 2015 Supreme Court decision, the Hodges decision, most states didn't allow same-sex couples to get married. No? Yeah. In most, in 11 of the 16 Southern states, it is okay for a private adoption agency or a private foster care agency to deny services to uh, same-sex couples that wanna be foster parents or adopt people. It's still legal in Texas to and most states in the South, to say you can't use our wedding venue for your ceremony because of being a same-sex couple. There's still issues of what? Trans violence and trans murders. Most trans murders happen in the, in South, the South or in Puerto Rico. And we don't talk enough about that as far as American trans murders. It's not just the South a huge percentage are in Puerto Rico, and that's important too. Well, and I even think of um, how it affects our own lives, Aubrey. I don't know if you had experiences like this, but, you know, I am not allowed to, not allowed, I'm saying I, we choose not to um, direct uh, loving comments like calling my fiance babe, love, or honey, in public specifically when she's on campus um she is a high school band director and i would i she chooses not to introduce me or i have to be kind of invisible if i'm ever on campus because if i piss off or she pisses off or just my present pisses someone off and it they could potentially fire her for being a gay woman oh no i absolutely get that i do because there's no and, and, you know, the Supreme Court just issued a few rulings in June to change some of this, but we don't know the fallout of those yet. Those rulings haven't been fully examined. 
Right. Her job could be at risk. I mean, just a few miles from us in a couple counties over, there was an art teacher that was fired because she talked about her gay girlfriend. And she just mentioned it in passing that I have a girlfriend and they fired her and there was a lawsuit and she won. But you have to ask this question, are these, these, are these experiences normal or more common in the South? And I think the answer is yes. Are you talking about the teacher in Mansfield? Yes. Because I just asked them if they wanted to be on the podcast. <laughs> okay, so you beat me to it because I was going to as well. So you beat me to it. I was going to, I was going to ask him a well, and I'm like, okay, I'll hold off. We have a lot of people already lined up, but we yeah. don't want to. And, but, it, and, and, you know, so you do have those political serious issues. Yeah, trans for sure. homelessness, trans violence, the difficulty changing a gender, a name or a gender marker and judges down here are more likely to say no. And why do we have to have a judge's permission to change our names? But there's also the good part. There's also the fun neighborhoods. There's Oaklawn, there's Atlanta, there's neighborhoods in just about every southern city. state and city. Yeah. Have you heard of Eureka, Eureka Springs, Arkansas? I have, actually. See, I was just listening to another podcast, and I'm not very competitive, so I'm going to say their name. I know some people don't want to say the name of the competition, but there's another podcast called Queer as South that we've talked about. Mm, and sometimes mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. get confused being Southern queries. Sometimes we're confused with Queer as South. Right. We're both new, both started in the summer. And Queer as South just did an episode where they were recording from Eureka Springs, which apparently is this little gay enclave in Arkansas. And I'm going to Hot Springs and I'm like, well, why am I not going to Eureka Springs? Why have I never right? heard of this little gay enclave in rural Arkansas that apparently is super LGBTQ friendly. Uh, road trip? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me go to Arkansas. I'm going to Hot Springs. While we're recording this, I'm going to Hot Springs in a couple of days. So my mind is on Hot Springs. But I do think my next trip is going to be to Eureka, Eureka. because it sounds unexpectedly fun. Well, and there's smaller places like Wimberley, Texas, which apparently has, uh, it's right outside of Austin, has a very high population of LGBTQ people. Um, I also want to highlight gay parenting in the suburbs of the South has become incredibly affordable. That's and why we're still here. Well, and I can't tell you how many gay parents I know who live in the suburbs a little Talking bit invisible, one, you know? yeah, we're, right. But we are trying to navigate. My wife and I are trying to navigate this idea where we don't hide that we're married. We don't hide that we're a same-sex couple to our neighbors. But outside of our next-door neighbor, we haven't really invited any of our neighbors into our lives because we're still trying to understand the neighborhood, understand the suburbs. But more gay families are moving down south. Yeah. People, and here's the secret, and Rigel has just, Rigel and Cameron from our episode about uh, being a queer influencer, Rigel and Cameron discovered the secret that a lot more people are realizing, guess what people, it's cheaper to live down here in the South than yeah. New York or California or the Northwest Portland, Seattle. You can get a lot more house for a lot less money down here. Yeah. And we have a lot of jobs and companies and so if you're a queer family moving to the South, how do you navigate that? Because we're here and we're coming here. 
And so how do you navigate that? Well, and also how do you navigate, like, for example, myself, I haven't seen a single rainbow flag in the entire neighborhood that I live in. We're the only house that has a rainbow flag. And as far as I can tell, I mean, they're out there probably, but I've never met any other queer couples in this neighborhood. And how do you navigate being isolated also in the suburbs, being the only quote unquote different couple? And every time I meet a new neighbor, they go, oh, so what does your husband do? And I have to like do the whole, well, my fiance, she is the band director. Or we're, we're standing next to each other and they go, oh, how long have you guys been roommates? And I want to be like, uh, well, no, we're a couple. A lot more than that. <laughs> you know? and, and or so- Allison will say something funny like, well, I did propose to my roommate, so. Yeah. Like, I know when, a few years ago, we vacationed in Colorado, my family. And we were in Denver and we were doing the Estes Park and all that. The entire time we were there in Denver, not a single waiter or waitress, not a single server asked us to split the check. They just assumed we were a little family of three. That was the assumption. We were never asked, oh, are we splitting this? Whereas when we're down here, when we're at home or in the South, it's about seven times out of 10, 70% of the time, if we go to a restaurant, this is pre-COVID when we used to go to things, they would ask us, are we splitting the check or how do we want to split this? And we say, no, we're a family. It all comes out of the same account. And see with me, Aubrey, Allison's masculine of center. So they always give her the check, even though I'm the one who asked for the check. But because she looks more manly, I guess they assume she's paying. But there is this question of, how do you be masculine of center? Or how do you be a feminine male in a place like the South with such traditional gender roles? Yeah. And how do you do it safely? Yes, right? Aubrey, I got to say that's one of the things I admire the most about my fiance is she navigates the world. She doesn't let it affect her day-to-day life, but she's third. She's hushed out of bathrooms. Um, She's treated differently, especially if the men realize that she is a woman. They'll say things like, oh, well, if you're going to dress like a man, I guess you should help me with all of these groceries and lift that box on your own because you want to be a man. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Really? All the time. Or you're not getting hired in other schools because you're gay or, you know, the parent won't come and talk to you because they realize that you're a woman and not a man. The constant, I don't need a beratement, I guess, or the constant, like, the barrage of treatment, I Bar- swear. Yeah. 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 Is it's constant. And same thing, I get the opposite effect where just because I'm a femme, I can't back up the car or I can't pick up that box. Or um I'm always asked about my husband or my boyfriend, always. Or I can't have friends who are masculine of center. Like my dear friend, Corey, who is masculine of center, they assume that I'm into her or that I'm with her because she's masculine of center and I'm femme. So we, therefore we must be a couple. Like why can't it just be friendship, you know? 
Right. Or like, there's just what if I was into them? Yeah. Just, I mean, here in the South, it's very intense. But then again, I also come from a place like Mexico where gender is in our language. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we're still looking for we're still looking for non-gender terms for some aspects of Southern culture. Yeah. The Southern culture is still big on the ma'am and the sir, that respect, that kind of respect playfulness on words. There's really no gender neutral ma'am or sir. If you, no. if you raise your kids, if you raise little Southern kids and you tell them you have to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. What do you do when you meet someone who's non-binary or gender fluid? What do you say? There's still no answer to that. Right. right. And so right. there are aspects of Southern culture that are explicitly queer questioning or queer denying. And we want to ask those questions. How do you queer Southern respectability? Even in weddings, Aubrey, um, yes, how much... Oof, they're so cis heteronormative. It's very difficult being a queer person planning a wedding in southern states. And this I is a conversation. I think weddings are going to be a three-part series for us. I think we're going to do three episodes, three-part series, queer weddings in the south. And I think we're going to just go at it and talk about it. Yeah, because there's three a lot episodes. to talk about in there. Lot. Photographers, venues, how do you, the cake makers, the guests, the stage. What do you wear? What do you wear? <laughs> the groom suite versus yeah. the bride suite. Oh. Yeah. And all those things. And for a lot of venues, you have to ask because you don't see any, you don't see two grooms getting married on the wedding website or in the wedding photographer's gallery of photos. You don't see two grooms or you don't see two women or you don't see anyone who looks maybe gender fluid or non-binary. So you have to take the extra step of asking these questions and that's or making Or making a point that you are a same-sex couple, which is what Allison and I had to do. Mm -hmm. Six, six different venues I went to, not a single one had a photo of someone gay or non-binary, not a single one had non-gendered um getting ready sweets not a single one yeah so i mean this is going to be a three-part series and yeah i don't know if we want to do it later this year or maybe wait to the spring you know spring's always wedding season i don't well, know we should do it before the spring and then release the episodes in the spring i like that maybe we could talk about it in the winter yeah i mean All my right. big question is what access will Southern Queries podcast have to your wedding journey? That's my question. As much as it would like. <laughs> We're going to do a live stream. <laughs> We're going to live stream your wedding. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so, Aubrey, I think we've asked a lot of questions on what is the term being Southern? Where is the South? And we didn't answer. We just kind of gave our different opinions and or talked about other people's opinions. And I think that's the beauty of our podcast as we are exploring this. Um, and I hope that people want to explore this topic with us. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we are open to hear other thoughts and more information. And I really hope that when we look back at this podcast in our first season, 
we go, wow, we explored so many different aspects of being queer in the South because there isn't one right way to be queer in the South. Yes, I think that's the big thing is that it's just about having the conversation. And if you want to look at any of the research we were citing or any of the maps, all of that will be included on our website, southernqueries.com. Every episode has a blog post where we talk about uh, the guest or just the research and we do all the show notes. So make sure you check there for all the research that we were using to kind of guide this conversation. And don't forget, we do have a donation button now. So if you want to help us out, um, because it does take time out of our day, we buy equipment, we, you know, hopefully we'll be doing some tours eventually, post COVID. (laughs) We appreciate any donation and or, um, you know, contact us, we want to hear from you. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks, everyone. You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production. Your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Hawley. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastian. This is Southern Queries. Oh, oh.